Some of the topics discussed on Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, are difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to episode three of Blackbird, an advocacy podcast. I am your host, Sarah, alongside my wonderful co-host, Dan. Yo. Before we get started, I want to first provide a trigger warning. This episode discusses the topic of suicide. For quite a long time now, technology has been used for cyberbullying, often leading to attempts and successes in teen suicide. But we don't think of technology as a means of facilitating intimate partner violence. And we often don't think about words as being a form of abuse, but they are. Verbal abuse is the most common form of abuse, especially in intimate partnerships. Today's case is a story about how technology enabled verbal abuse between two teens to be taken to the extreme. This is the world we live in now, and we need to be aware of how times and methods have changed. Abuse comes in all forms, and this story will prove just that. July 12, 2014 began like any other day, at least like any other day for Conrad Roy III and Michelle Carter. They exchanged text messages, as they always did, talking about Conrad's plan to commit suicide. Conrad and Michelle met in 2012 while on separate family vacations in Florida. They found out that they lived about an hour away from one another in Massachusetts. And thus they began what thecut.com called a thoroughly modern teenage romance. They would text each other nonstop, talking about life and their feelings and sharing their secrets. Conrad battled with depression and had attempted suicide multiple times. Once, he overdosed on acetaminophen and was brought to the hospital, where he was saved. Michelle also battled mental health issues and expressed her body image concerns and that she suffered from an eating disorder. She spent some time in a mental health facility to seek treatment for her illness. The pair seemed like two broken souls who could help pick up the pieces from one another. Through seemingly knowing what the other was going through, it would appear as if their relationship would contribute each as a savior for the other. But instead, it turned into a relationship full of manipulation, predatory pressure, and vulnerability. Despite living so close to each other, Conrad and Michelle only met each other a handful of times. The majority of their relationship was via text messaging, which is what makes this such a unique circumstance. Michelle's words to Conrad originally started out as loving and helpful, texting him things like, quote, and maybe you shouldn't try so hard, just let it come naturally. Not everyone is going to like you. You have to realize that. You can't please everyone. Just live your life not worrying about what people think of you and keep the people who do like and love you and care about you close because they are the only ones who matter. After he confided that he has social anxiety, she went further. Quote, you only feel that way and do that to yourself because you don't put yourself out there. Accept who you are and let it shine. Show them who you are. They'd like you. By being shy and quiet, they obviously think you're not confident and boring. You gotta speak up and have fun. Be yourself. They'd like you. She even sent him an article about self-help for people with social anxiety. She told him she was trying to help him, and at this point, it really seemed like she was. On June 1st, 2014, Michelle asked Conrad if he ever thought of getting help and maybe going to a facility. She was going to one for treatment for her eating disorder, and she asked Conrad if he wanted to come with her so they could get help together and help each other through. Quote, 
Let's get better and fight this together. Let's do this together, she texted. On June 24th, 2014, they had a text message conversation in which Michelle says, I love you. And Conrad responds, I love you too. Michelle says, you deserve to hear that more. You need to know that you are loved and wanted every second of every day, not just by me, but by so many people. She also then asked, do you trust me? This to me is when she started her true manipulation. She's asking if he trusts her so she knows if she says something, he'll be more inclined to follow her direction. She wants the control, which is exactly what intimate partner violence is about, control and power. The next day, through more text messages, Michelle asks Conrad, quote, what's the thing that's preventing you from giving up? And he responds, my family. To which Michelle responds, it's time to start living your life for you, not just for them. Right now, you're just existing and aren't living. I want to help you live again. I want to help you live again. In the same message, she's telling him, don't live for other people, live for yourself, but also that she should be important enough to be that guidance for him. Throughout that conversation, she's throwing in little things about wanting him to listen to their song, which is a song she loves and decided is going to be their song. He tells her he's busy and she writes, quote, so now you're busy? I know it's difficult to perceive tone through texts, but I think we can agree that she's a little perturbed that he's too busy to listen to their song at that moment. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it seems at that point like she's she's doing that thing that people do in relationships where they just feel like they have to create drama yeah. and they have to create strife and they have to create this negative interaction because that's what you think a relationship is. Like, you could just let things be cool. Yeah. And then came this text message exchange. Michelle says, I'm scared that when you finally get better, that you're going to forget about me. And Conrad replies, oh? And she writes, you won't, will you? Because you did that in the past. I was there for you and helped you and all that. And then you just, like, forgot about me. How narcissistic oh, yeah. do you have to be to say, I helped you and you <laughs> just forgot about me? And now you owe me. Yeah. After someone is telling you that he wants to end his life. I mean, that's just, that's just bonkers. Yeah. Like, priorities here, girl. Priorities. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> there are times through their text exchanges that if Conrad doesn't answer within a couple of minutes, Michelle is texting and texting and texting and wondering where he is and why he's not responding. And she's constantly on him. Where are you, Conrad? Conrad, are you listening? Are you texting? Are you there? Constantly. Right. Because he hasn't messaged her back in a couple of minutes. Classic controlling personality. Classic. A few days later, Michelle sends out her loving, helpful message again. Quote, If you don't have any hope of getting better, then why are you holding on for so long? I think deep down you have a bit of hope that you'll recover from this, and you aren't killing yourself because a part of you knows you'll get better. But then it goes right back to being about her. Michelle writes, Because if you didn't have any hope, you would have already did it. And Conrad replies, if I didn't have family that loves me, I would have already. I feel like I have nothing to live for besides that. And Michelle responds, what about me? Right. Again, making it about her. Making it about her. He's <laughs> crying out to this girl who right. is supposed to be his girlfriend. Right. That he's 
planning to end his life, that he's contemplated, cult, contemplated it multiple times, he's attempted multiple times, and she's just, well, what about me? Right. Aren't I right. special? And, like, it's funny, too, because in her head, she's making it seem like, hey, you know, what about me? I'm here for you. But the way she's wording it is, what about me? Not like, hey, you have me. Right. If she wants to support, it's, you'll always have me. Right. I'm here to help you. Right. But in her, to her, right. it's, but aren't I good enough right. for you to see that you should stay here because of me? Don't I get credit for helping you? Yeah. I want that appreciation. Right. Exactly. On June 26th, 2014, Conrad talks about wanting to end his life again. Michelle keeps asking, quote, you're not going to do anything, right? And on June 29th, Michelle begins suggesting ways to commit suicide. No. So I'm going to have you read Conrad's part of this conversation, and I'm going to read Michelle's, because this is, uh, this is where it starts to get very involved. Why do you want it to be an accident? Well, I'd like people to think that and not feel guilty. So if you didn't care what others thought, then you would have killed yourself the easy way? What's the easy way? I don't know. Hanging yourself or overdosing? I don't know. What don't I understand? I want to die. If I have to be obvious? I know you want to, but I just don't get why you're still holding on if you want to so badly. I know you want to and you research it and everything, but are you actually really going to do it? Yeah, if I can find a way to 100% work. There is, though. You're just afraid of doing it. No, there's not. 96% of attempts result in failure. How badly do you want to be in that 4%? Yeah, that was a stupid question. It's not really about how bad you want it. I don't get why you don't just overdose again, but go somewhere in private. What about overdosing on sleeping pills? Or suffocating with a plastic bag. See, I've thought about all those things, but I'm not positive it'll work. Well, you said yourself that there isn't anything that's 100% positive. Sleeping pills would work. Really? Yep. If you take a really huge amount of them, you'll fall asleep and never wake up. But what if I do? What if you do what? Wake up. Then you fail. I don't know. But if you really want to die, then I don't get why you wouldn't try it. Exactly. You say you want to die so bad, Conrad, but you aren't willing to try any ways to die. You said nothing is 100%, so all the kids in the world who have committed suicide knew that too. But they tried and were successful. I know. I just don't want to fail again. That's what I'm scared of. You can't live your life in fear. Okay, so we're going to pause here for a minute. Uh, that's tough to do. Uh, that's really difficult to like read that. Like Even just that little bit. Like, I struggled to get through that. Yeah. I kept wanting to stop you. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. When I was reading these <clears throat> transcripts, because this all was in evidence at um, Michelle's trial. So I read the entire transcript of these text messages. And it was very difficult, very difficult to read these messages. It, this case broke me. Yeah. Having to read all of this yeah. for this research. So... Reading that out loud, 
is even more difficult. It's so crazy. And like you, so you've read these things already. I haven't. So I'm, you know, I'm hunched over, you know, a laptop screen. So there's no emotional connection for me really. But as I'm reading it, it's, it's really, it's really kind of hitting me. It's, it's difficult to do. Yeah. So again, this is a girl who's <laughs> saying she loves her boyfriend so much. She wants to help him. Yet she's now suggesting to him, why don't you just commit suicide this way? Why don't you end your life this way? It's freaking insane. I mean, I don't, I don't understand like what her goal is here. Like, are you, do you want this person to die here? I mean, is this some kind of test to see if he loves you? He'll do what you say. It's, it's crazy to me. It's so much manipulation going on and it is it's that classic cycle of abuse where she's going from saying how much she loves him, how much the world would love him if he just showed his true colors and let everybody know who he was and just didn't care about what people thought. And then in the same respect, she's now telling him you should kill yourself. But then she goes right back to, but I, I love you and you're a great person and I want to help you and I want to support you. Yeah. And so by her supporting him, she's providing him ways for an out and not even just providing ways she's pushing him yes I mean, this is this is nuts oh it gets worse it, it gets worse <clears throat> all right well let's see if we can push through it on july 2nd 2014 the conversation continued well then don't fail do what you're most confident doing but if i'm not alive how is it going to be for me because i know you'd want me to do good and live a happy life and get over my eating disorder. And when I accomplish things, I'm always going to look up to the sky and know you're smiling down on me. It's going to be for you. I just know Jesus is going to be with me no matter what I do. I haven't done anything really wrong my whole life. I just want him to take me with him and be an angel. Like, if I do end up dying, I know I won't go to hell. I don't belong there. Jesus will take care of you, babe. You'll be happy and protected in heaven. I just want you to finally be happy. So, so happy. And if this is the only way you think you're going to be happy, heaven will welcome you with open arms. You're going to be the most beautiful angel there ever was. You're going to be my angel. You won't go to hell, I promise you that. Heaven needs a hero. Again, she's like, you're going to do this for me. Yeah. You're going to look down on me. You're going to help me by killing yourself. And rising up to heaven. Right. And and I like how she, like, he, he's the first one to mention Jesus. He's yes. the first one to pull religion, and she just jumps right on it. Yeah. And and now, all of a sudden, she's a preacher. Yeah. Like, you know, and this line about heaven needs a hero, like, that basically just came straight from the last Batman movie. Like, <laughs> relax, lady. I think that's actually a song. In a song, heaven uh. needs a hero. Um, anyway, Conrad continues to explain to Michelle that he's hesitant because he doesn't want to do this to his family. He doesn't want to put them through anything as horrible as losing their son. But Michelle, in her infinite wisdom, tells him not to worry about his family. She texts, quote, Okay, well, of course your family is going to grieve you. I mean, whenever people lose someone they love, they grieve them and are hysterically sad for a good month. But then it gets better. And they won't be as sad. They will always remember you and good times and memories. Your mom will definitely be sad and lost for a few weeks. But she will get better. And she has support from family and friends. She will know that you just wanted to be happy. And instead of crying for you, she will smile, knowing that you're in a better place. Your parents are not failures, and they will not think they are. 
They tried everything they could, but your issues won. Yeah, they'll probably blame themselves for a while, but they will get over it and learn to accept it. They will live for you, just like I will. They will be okay, I promise. I'll even call your mom every now and then to check in. Again, she's pulling herself into the equation. She's going to Conrad's mother's savior now. Right. Instead of his savior, she's now transitioning to be his mom's savior. Right. So like, once he's gone, don't worry, I'll still be here. I'll take care of them. Right. She wants to be the hero. Exactly. She's talking to him about being a hero. She, she wants to be the hero. Exactly. She wants to be praised. Exactly. Exactly. And she needs, I guess, there's, I guess her life is so great that she's got nothing that she can be heroic about. She doesn't have any, you know, any nephews that could use babysitting or any, there's no homeless people in her town that she can volunteer to, you know, work at the soup kitchen. She's, she's got no way to become a hero except to convince a good person to end his life. She does volunteer. She's actually a volunteer at a, uh, at a camp or something like that. That's also part of their text message threads Jeez. that they talk about that back and forth. And she tells him at one point, um, volunteering is, is, you know, great. And he's like, yeah, you know, I need something like that, something to give me purpose. And she says, yeah, and it looks great on a resume. Jeez. Yeah. So, again, she's just trying to manipulate him. And and part of this, where she's talking about his mom and his family, it's that classic maneuver of trying to detach the abused from all of the people who are actually there to support. Right. You know, the, the abused will usually um, be pulled away from their family. You know, the abuser will sometimes tell them, you know, you're, they don't love you. They don't want to see you. Or they'll interfere with those relationships so that they don't want to see each other anymore. So that the abuser is the only person now that's in the life of the right. abused. So she's now telling him... Don't worry, your family will grieve you for a little while, but they'll get over it. They'll right. know that you're that you're happy now that you killed yourself. Right, because I'm so good at this that I will fix them for you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And she then continues to push him to think about ways to commit his suicide. Conrad sends Michelle a link to a website that has information of ways to commit suicide. Michelle says she looked at it and that, quote, that guy knows what he's talking about. On July 4th, Michelle continues to text Conrad things like, quote, are you going to do it tonight? Is tonight the night? How hard are you going to try? How bad do you want this? There's no turning back now. If you want it bad, you'll succeed. The next morning, Michelle gets worried when Conrad isn't texting her back. She messages him a few times to see if he's okay. He responds that he had fallen asleep and that he is okay. Michelle then says, quote, I feel like such an idiot. And Conrad asks why. Michelle says, quote, because you didn't even do anything. You lied about this whole thing. You said you were going to go to the woods and do it. And you said things that made me feel like maybe you were actually serious. And I poured my heart out to you thinking this was going to be the last time I talked to you. And then you tell me you took sleeping pills, which first of all, I know that's a lie because you already said you wouldn't get enough. And I don't know how you would have got them. I'm just so confused. I think you really wanted to die, but apparently you don't. I feel played and just stupid. And then follows up with... That's just insane. I'm sorry. Quote, you're going to have to prove me wrong because I just don't think you really want this. 
You just keep pushing it off to another night and say you'll do it, but you never do. That's, I don't even know what to say. That's just bonkers. I know. That's just nuts, man. That's why it's so difficult to read these transcripts. Because, again, she claims she loves him. Which and she clearly does not. That's, she's that's just not true. She's mad at him now because he didn't kill himself. Yeah. Because he remained alive and made her look like a fool. Right. Like what like what is she what is she doing? Does she have does she have like a little group of friends no. that that she's trying to like impress with this that they like they like meet in somebody's basement and they're like look how much I screwed up this person's life. So her friends at trial um their testimony was basically that they weren't really friends with her. They kind of just like let her tag along to things. Um she would try really hard to hang out with them. She pushed a lot to hang out with them. They would have sleepovers occasionally. They would, like, go, you know, to each other's jobs to, like, meet up occasionally. But for the most part, they said that she was just kind of, like, one of the, you know, tag-along uh, people. So uh, she really didn't have anybody. Which So is, she attached herself to Conrad because she saw how broken he was. Right. And knew that, okay, I can zero in on this. Which, again, is classic abuser behavior. Yeah. But then, like, why does, if she doesn't have, like, what's her motivation here? And, and, and does she really want him to do it? Or does she just want to keep yelling at him for not doing it? Like, what would she do if he really did it? You'll find out. She keeps saying that she wants it, and it doesn't happen, and she complains like she wants him to do it. Yeah. I guess I'll have to find out with you guys. <laughs> She then continues with her usual barrage of texts about, Tonight? You said you were going to do it tonight, and now you're saying eventually. Then you can't fail, and you just have to do it. You can't push it off and be afraid anymore. You know once you do it, you'll be happy and free in a better place. Flying high in heaven. And then she suggests that carbon monoxide poisoning is the best option. There is a point where Conrad tells Michelle that he had his laptop open to a website about suicide methods, and he's sure his mom saw it, but didn't say anything to him. So Michelle takes this opportunity to tell him that his mom probably knows how much he's struggling and that while not happy, he wants to end his life, she's glad he's finding peace somehow. So again... Said no mother ever. Right. A again, she's manipulating him to believe that his mother also wants him right. to end his life. Right. Everybody in your life wants you to be happy. And the only way you're going to be happy is if you die. How is that a supportive, loving... It's not. ...girlfriend, friend, any being in your life, any presence in your life, how is that supportive? It's not. It's not even a little. And I mean, you know, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of this. He's attempted suicide multiple times before, and now is surrounded by people who are not reaching out to help him. I have no idea if his mom did see what was on his laptop, but if she did, that would have been the best time to pull him aside and ask if he's okay. And his so-called girlfriend is telling him his mom is fine with him killing himself, just as she is, because as she puts it, heaven needs a hero. Over the next couple of days, Michelle continues to tell Conrad that he needs to prove to her that he's really wanting to go through with suicide. And on July 9th, he plans to fully go through with it. He hooks up a generator and sits inside his truck. 
However, the generator fails, and thankfully Conrad has another day. Michelle tells him to get another generator, and an entire conversation occurs where she pretty much yells at him to go to Sears to get the generator fixed. Another bombardment of texts to just get it over with. I'm not going to go into those texts, but it's literally all capital letters. She's saying, like, where can you find a new generator? Where can you go to fix it? Where can you do this? Where, where can you do that? And it's just one text after another saying, go fix it, go fix it, go fix it. Right. Like, no, this is the opportunity for you to say, see, this is not what is wanted. You deserve to be here. Right. Like, especially if you're claiming to be, like, you believe in Jesus and you believe in God and all that and whatnot. Maybe you should take this as a sign that, hey, maybe Jesus doesn't want to see you. Exactly. If he keeps stopping your generator and stopping the sleeping pills from working. Right. Right. But clearly that's not what she wants. And then we come to July 12th, 2014. Conrad and Michelle's morning texts are the usual, quote, are you going to do it today? And more hesitancy on Conrad's part. Michelle writes, quote, you're so hesitant because you keep overthinking it and pushing it off. You just need to do it, Conrad. The more you push it off, the more it will eat at you. You're ready and prepared. All you have to do is turn the generator on and you be free and happy. No more pushing it off. No more waiting. Conrad spent the day with his mother and sisters, where his mom said she tried to talk to him while walking along the beach, but he seemed distracted by his phone. He had been texting Michelle. He had told his mother he was going to a friend's house and that he shouldn't be expected for dinner that evening, but he was really going to a Kmart parking lot to fill his vehicle with carbon monoxide. The last text he ever sent Michelle was, quote, okay, I'm almost there, at 6.25 p.m. He called her a few minutes later at 6.28 p.m., and they were on the phone for 43 minutes. At 7.12 p.m., Michelle then called Conrad back, and this conversation lasted about 47 minutes. During this phone call, the cab of Conrad's truck filled with gas, and he decided to get out. He felt he couldn't go through with it. This is when the most heinous part of the story happened. According to court testimony, when Conrad got out of the truck, Michelle urged him to get back in. She later texted a friend, quote, I fucking told him to get back in. Sam, he just called me and there was a loud noise like a motor and I heard moaning like someone was in pain and he wouldn't answer when I said his name. I stayed on the phone for like 20 minutes and that's all I heard. Sam, his death was my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone and he got out of the car because it was working and he got scared and I fucking told him to back, get back in Sam because I knew he wouldn't do it. He would do it. He would do it all. That's insane. So that first piece of audio uh, was Samantha, one of Michelle's friends, testifying at her trial of a text message that Michelle sent her the night that Conrad died, stating that she called him and she heard him on the phone moaning and then silence. Which means she was on the phone with him while he was, while dying. He was dying. Jeez. 
the second piece of audio was also Samantha. Uh, it was a text message that was sent to Samantha a couple of months after Conrad died from Michelle stating she could have prevented this because she's the one who told him to get back in the car. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. That's nuts. On July 13th, 2014, Conrad was found deceased in his truck. Michelle Carter was indicted on February 4th, 2015, and arraigned on February 5th on charges of involuntary manslaughter. A grand jury found overwhelming evidence to charge her with wanton and reckless aid of a suicide. Michelle took the option for a bench trial, which means she waived her right to a jury trial and was to be given a verdict solely by the judge in this case. On June 16th, 2017, Judge Lawrence Moniz found Michelle Carter guilty of involuntary manslaughter. He sentenced her to 2.5 years in prison, of which only 15 months were to actually be served within the Department of Corrections, and then be placed on five years of probation. That's it? That's it. That's, that's nuts. How can that possibly be? That's you just put all of this effort into getting a person dead and you're going to go to jail for 15 months. Yep. Wow. Michelle's lawyers asked Judge Moniz to issue a stay of the sentence until all of Michelle's Massachusetts court appeals options were exhausted. Judge Moniz granted the stay with conditions that Carter stay away from the Roy family. This meant that Michelle would be out serving her probation sentence until appeals were exhausted and then she would be taken into custody to serve her 15 months in prison. On February 6, 2019, the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court ruled that Carter acted with criminal intent when she encouraged Roy into suicide, so her involuntary manslaughter conviction was ordered to stand. She began serving her 15-month sentence on February 11, 2019, and was ultimately released on January 23, 2020, for good behavior. Good behavior? Yeah, she was a model inmate. But enough about Michelle. Yeah, seriously. Let's talk about Conrad. Conrad Henry Roy III was born September 12, 1995, in Mattapoisett, Massachusetts. For several years, he worked with his father, grandfather, and uncle in his family's marine salvage business, Tucker Roy Marine Towing and Salvage, Inc., in the New England area. In the spring of 2014, he earned his captain's license from the Northeast Maritime Institute by completing three months of night classes. In June 2014, he graduated on the honor roll with highest grades from Old Rochester Regional High School in Mattapoisett. He was an all-around high school athlete who played baseball, road crew, and ran track. He graduated with a 3.88 GPA and was accepted to Fitchburg State University to study business, but he decided not to go. He made some video diaries discussing his struggles with depression and anxiety and saw multiple therapists and counselors for treatment. Conrad Henry Roy III died at the age of 18. His funeral was held on Saturday, July 19, 2014 at St. Anthony's Church in Mattapoisett. The Captain Conrad H. Roy III Scholarship Fund at the Northeast Maritime Institute in Fairhaven, Massachusetts was established in his memory. This case is so important for many different reasons. One, 
Domestic violence does not always have to be perpetrated by someone who the victim lives with. It does not have to involve married couples or those in long-term face-to-face relationships. That is why it is also called intimate partner violence. Conrad and Michelle met, seemingly fell in love, at least their texts claimed, and Michelle began verbally abusing Conrad by telling him he should commit suicide and helping him find ways to do it. Two, we don't often see abuse happen in this way through the use of technology, though we don't hesitate when we see cases of cyberbullying between friends or enemies or even complete strangers. So why should this be any different? Words of manipulation can happen through the use of electronics or not. It does not change their effect. Words are words, and they should never be meant to harm another person, especially someone who you claim to love. Verbal abuse is not often seen as abuse. We know physical abuse, we know financial abuse, but we don't think words can hurt or harm. They absolutely can. This is seen as psychological aggression, and for an already vulnerable mind, this can be extremely detrimental. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, one in four dating teens is abused or harassed online or through texts by their partners, and about 84% of teen victims are psychologically abused by their partners. 84%. That's ridiculous. 84%. That's pretty much everybody. Because I think the teenage mind doesn't see it as right. abuse. They right. they just think it's this is a normal course of action in, in a relationship yep. and that's yep. not okay. We need to we need to ensure that teens understand that that's not appropriate. Yeah. In yeah. any capacity. Yeah, I mean like I said at the beginning of this, you know, it, it, it seemed to me like she was just as soon as they started, I guess, dating, you know, it seemed like she was immediately starting to create that drama that she thinks you're supposed to create in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But like, no, you don't have to do that. You really don't. And and I mean, even even in in platonic relationships, you know, you get you know groups of guy friends who think that they have to punch each other and fart on each other and and, and curse at each other because that's just what you're supposed to do, right? No, you don't have to do that. And if you don't like it, then you can leave. Right. You know, you don't have to be okay with these things. And yeah, I mean, like you said, teenagers just think that this is the way you're supposed to behave because they see everybody else doing it and they just assume that that's what they're supposed to do too right victims of digital abuse and harassment are 2.5 times as likely to be psychologically abused another reason this case is so important is we don't see male victims with female perpetrators very often Females ages 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 generally experience the highest rates of intimate partner violence, but that does not mean it doesn't happen to men. The U.S. Department of Justice reported that between 2003 and 2012, 24% of intimate partner violence was committed against men. This case now sets a precedence for whether it is a crime to tell someone to commit suicide. Illinois, Maryland, North Dakota, and Puerto Rico all have coercive suicide statutes on the books. However, Massachusetts did not have one at the time of Conrad's suicide, though his parents are trying to change that. Conrad's law would make it a crime if someone knows about another person's propensity for suicidal ideation and intentionally coerces or encourages that person to commit or attempt to commit suicide. The bill also criminalizes the actions of anyone who provides the physical means or knowledge of such means to another person for the purpose of enabling them to die by suicide. 
the measure has an exception for medical treatments and physicians. This case just breaks my heart. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really tough. This all could have been prevented. Yeah, it's, and he had such a bright future ahead of him. I mean, again, like it, like I was saying in, really in a previous episode of ours, you know, it's, it's a shame when any life is lost. But, I mean, you, you know, you look at what he had going for him. Yeah. I mean, he was going to be someone. He was going to do good things in the world. Yeah. And now none of those things are going to happen because of her. Yes. Because of her unforgivable actions. Please know that words that offend you, attack you, insult you, make you uncomfortable, or make you feel unworthy are not okay. No one deserves to be a victim of verbal abuse and psychological aggression. If you or anyone you know is a victim, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at thehotline.org or at 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. And if you or anyone you know is contemplating suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org or 1-800-273-8255. And that concludes episode three of Blackbird. If you have a story you would like to share on Blackbird, please email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com. And don't forget to stop by and follow us on Instagram at blackbirdadvocacy. For all references used in this episode, please see the show notes. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. And again, continue to social distance. Six feet, people. Don't forget it. And we leave you now with the words of Conrad Roy III. This is Conrad Henry Roy III reporting about social anxiety. Social anxiety to me is the inability to function properly in a manner that you want to in social situations. The hardest thing for me is to be comfortable in my own skin. Now I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. A lot of people tell me, a lot of people tell me that I have a lot going for me. And the sooner I like myself, better I'm going to be like I have a lot going I, I do have a lot going for me like I'm like a fucking captain I just got a job from the Boston Duck Tours to captain their boat like that's a huge accomplishment <laughs> to be a, a captain but I have a lot to offer someone I'm introverted nice and caring with some benefits I'm a nice kid but it comes to a point 